<laughs> Welcome to the Inner Fight Endurance Podcast, episode 174, brought to you by Hoka and Precision Fueling and Hydration. Rob Jones is currently moving house, so we've, we've given him another week off the podcast. So I've got on with me another very special person, Jess Toll, no E. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Uh, it's been over 100 episodes since you last graced us with your presence. Where have you been? I've, I've been busy. I've been around. <laughs> Avoiding podcasts at all costs. Yeah, I mean... We know I like talking, but speaking on a podcast is a little bit different. As, is as, it? Yeah. I mean, as, as you know, I don't have a filter between my brain and my mouth. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when it's recorded, it's a bit different. That's all right. Only, uh, as I always say, if your mum listens to this episode as well, then we have three people listening in. So you haven't got too much to worry about. <laughs> Jess, you're on today to talk to us about swimming. Now, we used to be a run-only podcast, but now we get to talk all topics endurance. So... You were quite high on my guest list to get on. Swimming credentials? What, what's your experience in swimming? Um, my mum taught me to swim before I could even walk. <laughs> so I've always been a swimmer. Um, we were lucky enough that she had a swimming pool where she worked. So I was always thrown in the pool. Um, and then I started competitive swimming from the age of six or seven. Um, did like competitions internationally. Um, like did the Midlands Championships, like the Nationals, that kind of thing. So I was, growing up, I was a competitive swimmer. Yeah, and that was what you did before you actually got into triathlon. Yeah, that was many years before I got into triathlon, just swimming. Just swimming, and then GB Tri came along and snatched you up. And taught me the ways of triathlon. <laughs> Talk to us a bit then, to start with, around the, the difference between a childhood swimmer, so someone who's been in squad, or you might have heard a squad swimmer, and then a onset what is it adult onset swimmer so learning to swim as you're an adult the differences there I think there's huge differences between someone that's grown up as a swimmer and gone through the coaching development gone through into squads compared to someone that just decides in midlife or late life that they want to suddenly just start swimming yeah I think some of the technique in swimming is something that is ingrained from a young age and it's not something that you can learn very easily compared to let's say cycling or running you can pick that up a bit easier. Yeah. I think go on. Swimming's just so technical yeah. and compared to the other two. And as you're going to learn in this, in this episode, it's not necessarily about how hard you try. It means that you're going to get better at swimming. It's, it's more technique focused. Yeah, definitely. Similar to those who've experienced playing golf or uh, another really high skill sport. So we're going to talk about swimming specifically for triathlon. Now, obviously, if you want to start doing triathlon, the first place to start probably should be the swim. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about what the differences in swimming in terms of demands within triathlon are, what they look like, and then uh, we'll talk about how we get started on it. So the different demands in swimming for triathlon will depend on the distance of what you're racing. Yeah. So obviously we have sprint, well, super sprint, sprint, Olympic, um, half Ironman and Ironman, and obviously the, the demands of each distance is, is completely different. Yeah. What, uh, what do we start with Super Sprint then? Is that 250? 350. 350. I'm, I'm cutting the course short. <laughs> when was the last time you did a Super Sprint? Never <laughs> have I ever done a Super Sprint. <laughs> I just get my money's worth. Okay, so three, 350, that, that's a really, well, if you're going to swim that properly, that's a really hard, short effort, right? Yeah, it, it's, it was obviously the, 
the highest, the closest that we are to our threshold in a swim event in a triathlon. Mm. You're almost, almost at that red line. There's no time to make any mistakes. There's no time to like settle into your stroke or anything. It's just go, go, go. Yeah. And uh, your, what rough time are we thinking? What, what should an average triathlete doing a super sprint aim for time-wise for a, for a super sprint? <laughs> I don't think I've done one for a long time. <laughs> well, the average Joe, what, we're swimming a 400 in, in what, six and a half minutes, seven minutes would be pretty good. Yeah. So something around the six minute mark. Six, a six minute mark, yeah. Oh. Think, think about running into the water and getting out as well. Probably six minutes. It's like a, a nasty VO2 max but, effort. Yeah. Ouch. All right, sprint, 750. 750. Things are starting to relax more here. Yeah. We're, we're what? We're going definitely over 10 minutes over, probably for most people. Yeah, 10 to 15 minutes, I'd say, for most people. Okay. So we're, we've got a little bit more time now. We're, gonna, we're sitting a little bit lower in that, yeah. in that pain threshold and um, we can settle into the stroke. Um, this is where, in this instance, I'd say, is where you're going to see more technique coming in mm. because you're not just going to be able to thrash around for 300 meters and get away with it. Yeah. There's going to be a little bit more technique involved in um, how efficiently you're swimming. Yeah. Are you also the nuances of swimming in a pack come into play here as well. Yeah, even in a short distance like a sprint, you're still going to have a lot of benefit from sitting in a group of people, sitting on someone's hip or someone's feet. Um, so just being able to do that and get comfortable with doing that is going to have big advantage even in the shorter distance. Yeah. We then move to Olympic, which is 1,500 metres. And then the most common one I think you probably have coached people towards is the 70.3 distance, which is a 1.9 kilometre swim we're now looking at probably over 30 minutes up to 45 to 50 minutes worth of swimming here in a at the start of a race what factors do we start thinking about when we're training for a 70.3 that's different to the demands of say the sprint or the super sprint i say like when you're training for an olympic or a 70.3 with because the swim's only 400 meter difference it's pretty much the same like you're training the same the same thing here when it comes to longer distances, I'm looking more at um, shoulder strength, like mm. a bit more strength comes into play, being able to maintain close to your CSS or your threshold pace a little bit longer, um, but not going so high that you're going to affect the rest of the race because it's a very small portion of the race in the longer distances. Yeah. Obviously, being able to sit in those packs, being able to settle in to a comfortable pace for the whole thing. Yeah. And comfort is the real key point there, right? Comfort in being out in the water for that long because it's quite scary for some people to think of being out in the open ocean for, you know, over 10 minutes. Um, you're thinking more around wearing a wetsuit, which sometimes can feel quite suffocating around your neck area if it's too tight or suddenly you start panicking because you look back to shore and you realize, oh, wow, I'm this far out. Um, all that can be double, <laughs> double exaggeration, if you like, when you get up to the Ironman distance of... 3.9 kilometers where we're going to be out there for probably an hour maybe up to an hour and a half i think what's the cutoff for an ironman is it two hours swim an hour and ten no it's not <laughs> no it's not it's near two hours swim faster maybe <laughs> an hour ten no, for the pros yeah but yeah people like me we need time <laughs> we need time um so yeah and i think that's quite an interesting part to triathlon isn't it you've got um super sprint sprint Olympic and 70.3 as you all said there's about 400 meters between those but then you go up to Ironman and it's suddenly double the distance of a 70.3 so the game we're gonna, we'll talk about this but training for a 70.3 when people start to jump up to an Ironman you it's not just a case of swimming a little bit more you have to swim quite a bit more 
well, double the distance. And that means training has to change as well. So the, the aerobic side and the strength side that you just talked about with the upper body, the demands on that get much bigger as well. Yeah, your, the, your training session is going to be much longer, like, like lower, lower intensity, more strength work, more aerobic work, like you said, a lot different from 70.3 training. Yeah. And that there's a good point to start on really is when, where, where do we get started? Your, well, why don't you tell us when, when you have a swimmer come to you, so let's say we've got a, a swimmer coming to complete their first 70.3, so 1.9 kilometer swim, where, where do you begin? Um, technique always before fitness. Okay. I'll always look at technique before fitness. <laughs> um, I just don't think it's any benefit to ingrain bad habits. Um, improving your technique and your efficiency in the water is going to make you faster. Just plowing up and down with the wrong technique is going to get you so far and then it's going to not help anymore. Give us some examples of that where people have come to you and you've run, oh no, they've, they've started out doing it wrong. We need to switch it around. A lot of adults that come have ingrained bad habits already. They've, they've taught themselves to swim and they think that just by trying to thrash around in the pool and swim as fast as they can and as hard as they can, they're going to have some benefit from that. They're going to get mm. fitter. They think the fitness is going to come from killing themselves in the pool. But doing that with such terrible technique is they're just swimming. They're not going anywhere when they're swimming. It's so ineffective. Yeah. And uh, so interval training in the pool is used more or less for every training session, right? Yeah. Rarely would you say jump in and just swim 2K straight? No. Definitely not. Yeah. So when we, when we start to do the, the, we put in the intervals and we start to work on technique, what are you seeing most common in, in adult swimmers of like, what's the easy wins with, when it comes to technique? There's a couple of, I think, really easy wins that are not too demanding and they're quite easy for you to fix. Um, the first one I always look at is body position in the water or like streamlining yeah like to me that's one of the most fundamental parts of swimming if you have a good body position if you're able to streamline and hold that position it's obviously creating uh, less drag in the water um, it's something that's really simple to fix with drills like just being able to streamline push off the wall and hold a streamline position just being able to float on top of the water being able to find the balance of your body yeah. I think that's the key thing to start with with everyone yeah so there's a efficiency is quite a big word we use in well in triathlon but in swimming specifically the more efficient you can be in the water the better you are right or the better you're going to be so when we're moving past probably let's say the super sprint distance and we're into the anything above like a 400 meter effort the focus in your training should be on efficiency over on like you said not thrashing yourself so on on pure speed work what areas You've mentioned one already in terms of buoyancy and body position. What other things can account to our efficiency in the water? I think efficient swimming can often be tracked back to not being able to breathe properly. Like mm. breathing is another big one with a lot of, uh, with a lot of athletes. Um, most swimmers or triathletes don't really understand that holding your breath underwater is really counterproductive. Like I always compare it to running. Would you hold your breath when you run? close your mouth and then when you need to breathe would you just suddenly suck in this huge <laughs> breath like imagine running track and trying to run like that yeah. yeah but yet they seem to do it in the pool right um so i always teach people that they need to have exhaled all of their breath before they turn to take a breath in and that's really hard for people right because your face is in the water which there's an automatic uh what is it called the mammalian response where you automatically hold your breath when your face is in water yeah 
You're How do you want to teach that then? Well, I have my mouth open when I swim. <laughs> Trying to talk, probably. <laughs> um, but even going back to like kids, we just we we just constantly teach them that there should always be air coming in or out with your mouth. So if you're blowing bubbles as your face is under, you should be completely no no air in left in your lungs when you turn when you turn to breathe. Because um, obviously, if you turn to breathe and you breathe out at the same time as you then breathe in, you've then spent too long on your side, your body vision has been effective, effectively your hips have dropped, your legs have dropped, and you've just put this huge break on. Yeah, yeah. So you've lost that streamlined position that we spoke about a minute ago, that, yeah. that smooth yeah. slice through the water. Yeah, so there, there's a great point is, you're doing everything you can really to keep your legs up. Your, he- your legs are the heaviest part of your body, right, when you're in the water, and if they start to sink, suddenly a much larger surface area is exposed to the water, which is acting as a as a water break, basically, isn't it? Yeah. So for, and this is what a common thing I see in people who are squad swimmers, so learn to swim when they're young and adult onset swimmers, that isn't about kicking harder. It's about timing of the technique and understanding what your kick is actually doing, right? Because you can, you don't, you can do a two beat kick and swim absolutely beautifully. Um, overdoing like a six beat kick where you're thrashing the water about behind you but not actually going anywhere yeah I absolutely love this one okay <laughs> because Tell us. I hear it all the time you know people uh, triathletes say I say oh, why aren't you kicking oh I'm saving my legs for the bike and the run and I'm like no 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 that's not how it works um it's like your leg muscles are big muscles so they take more oxygen so if you're going to jump in the swim and kick really really fast your heart rate is going to jack right up because mm. you need the oxygen for those large muscles and unless you're swimming a 50 meter race or a 100 meter race when you're a swimmer you yeah. don't need to kick like that it's just a big waste of energy it's not efficient especially when you know depending on our distances we're going to be out there for hours and hours racing we're just going to set ourselves up with that super high heart rate at the beginning and it's going to affect the rest of the race yeah so Straight away, when I have new swimmers come in the pool, I try and get them away from this like thrashing six beak or even higher sometimes leg kick. Try and teach them that, you know, a two beat leg kick, which a two beat leg kick is basically two kicks per arm cycle, and it helps us provide a coordinated weight shift from side to side. Um, it's two beat leg kick is used for rotation rather than actually going forward. I mean, it does propel you forward, but not the same as a six beat. Yeah. But that way we're keeping our heart rate down, we're maintaining a good balance in the water, a good body position, and we're relying on our arms more to get us through the swim, which is more effective, which we keep talking about, and um, we'll save energy. Yeah, I love that. So the, the, probably people don't realize this, the legs is, is used more for your body rotation than actual propulsion. What, what, is that, what does rotation in the, in the water look like? Should our shoulders be rotating? Just our hips? Should everything be rotating? How do we, how do we get correct rotation when we're swimming? So I, it's hard to teach someone to correctly rotate because mm. you want to rotate from the shoulders and the hips. Right. Um, I always teach people when they have their arm out in front of them, they always want to try and like dislocate their shoulder. They want to push their shoulder You're forward. You're pretty good at that, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not quite that though. <laughs> Um, so they're like reaching forward and if you if you push your shoulder forward then your hips should naturally kind of rotate with that okay um it's to do with how far you reach forward it helps with the rotation yeah the so it's not about turning over onto your side in order to breathe which you might you some people when they do like sidekick drill for example they think that they need to have their shoulder and hip completely out of the water on one side while kicking facing, you know, belly button facing the wall is what a lot of people are taught. But actually, sidekick drill, if you're doing it properly, you should be in a nice 
taut rotated position where your body line is just being nice and long but your shoulder and hip are a little bit closer to the surface not all the way over rotated because we don't want to over rotate do we because then that slows us down again with that water break that we we talked about before if you're exposing more surface area to the water you're going to be slower how do people know if they're rotating too much um if they ever rotate too much they, they they start to sink in the water. Right. I think that's the first thing. Like the hand that's in front of the in front of them will immediately start to drop. They'll feel their hips drop, like you just said, and the the feet will go as well, and their body position's gone. Um, and also time. Like if you the less time you spend rotating, the better. Okay. Because you spend too long on your side, you you you've lost that position in the water. Mm. Yeah. So are there any other like telltale signs that um, technique should be worked on first over? Uh, like aerobic like some people might think well I've had swim lessons they said I'm swimming good now now I just want to get faster are there any other would you give any measures of people's technique or any other way that you would would uh, understand what people's technique is doing and how it's limiting them in the swim how we measure technique I mean how we measure progress yeah or like you know if someone's swimming on their own or doing their own swim training how do you ask them or how do you find out whether they are being efficient or not a video analysis is a good one Okay. Even just to film yourself and then have someone look at it. Because you, you can't often tell yourself if you're doing it right or wrong. And you might, be, you might think that you're doing something like... I have a lot of people that struggle with catch. Um, a lot of athletes tend to move their hand through the water without pulling the water. Mm. They just move their hand to the hip. But they're actually not doing anything. They're not going forward. They're just moving their hand. But I don't think that's something that they would necessarily find out on their own. Right. Or, for example, a really common one is crossing that center line when they swim. Okay, so what, like, what does that mean? So I always imagine, this is just from when I was a kid, that I was a unicorn and I had like a... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, one of a like kind. had like a pole sticking out of my head. So when you're looking like half forward, half down in the pool, yeah. you have like this line coming out the middle of your head and essentially your hand shouldn't cross that line. Okay. Because if you cross that line, you're essentially over-rotating, plus you end up swimming not in a straight line. Yeah. Um, and it also affects the pull underwater. Okay. So you could uh, film yourself from, say, the pool end and swim towards the camera and you, would, you wouldn't even need someone else to look at it. You can just draw a line from the center of your head to the, to the camera line if it's dead ahead of you and watch if your hand crosses over your mid line or not. Yeah, I've had some of my athletes do that for me as well and film from that head-on position. Yeah. And I've actually been able to identify that the pull underwater is wrong from that position as well. So <laughs> the hand was entering not over the center line, but then when they pulled underwater, it was crossing all the way under right, everybody. Right, right. And, and that then, what that does is if you're crossing under, you're putting yourself off balance, which means your rotation is going to be affected. What do you see, let's say someone wants to film their kick, what, what can you tell from their kick that might tell you other clues going on in their swim stroke that could be fixed? Um, a big one with the kick is you can tell straight away whether they're kicking too fast right. or they're not kicking at all because you can't even see the feet. Like, I like to be able to see just the heels of the swimmer's feet breaking the surface. Okay. If I can't see some kind of break of the surface, I think that they're too deep in the water. And what about the, you see some swimmers with quite a wide kick, or they, every other kick is out to the side, like scissor kick. What's that telling us that they're doing? I've got that with a few guys at the moment, and it's a lot of that is their ankle flexibility. They're mm. not understanding that the kick is a lot to do with the top of the foot, like how you can flick your ankle and use the top of your foot where your shoelace is, basically, to, to push through the water. And they end up bending their knees too much and going into like this scissor kick, um, usually because of hip or ankle mobility. Okay. 
Which also affects rotation, I'd imagine. Yeah. Right. Well, they've never been taught to kick properly. They're doing like a breaststroke hybrid kind of. Yeah. So a kick should be quite narrow. Yeah. And we want our feet almost to be turning inwards so that the big part of our feet acting like the flippers. You know, yeah. so when we put flippers on, suddenly we're away quicker because the surface area again is higher. So we're getting more water to propellers. We want to think of our feet being like that as well. Excellent. So for swimmers starting out, identifying that they've got to swim quite far, quite long, um, within a 70.3 or, or maybe someone who's going to swim, even for an Olympic, but definitely up to an Ironman, getting the technique nailed down first is going to make them a much more efficient swimmer, which means there's less energy demand to move the body through the water, which means you're more efficient for the bike and the run. If you want to just quickly check yourself how you're swimming, film yourself swimming straight up the lane towards the camera and then film yourself swimming away and have a look what's your kick doing and what's your arms doing as it enters the water. Should we care how the arms look coming over the top of the water? Yes. What should they look like? Um, they should be nice high elbows because that reduces the, um, the tension on your shoulders so it reduces the fatigue that you're gonna, your shoulders are going to build. Right. Um, keeping it nice and close to your body, so high elbows, um, and your fingers clear of the water. A lot of people drag their hand through the water, which okay. obviously is just it's, it's extra drag. It's slowing you down. It's drag. an easy fix. There's actually a drill, isn't there, where you do drag your fingers through the water? Yes, trickle. <laughs> trickle. <laughs> Zip and tickle. Okay, easy wins. So that's how we start on the technique side of life. When we're looking at, at measuring, like let's say progress, because obviously people are going to do it triathlon is a time-based sport so people want to know how they're going to do time-wise it's not just about how you felt during it how do we start to use time within swimming and how do we let that um you know uh, direct our swim fitness training so well we can use um metrics like pace like, okay like how fast can you swim um over 100 meters like your pace right or we can use like how far can you swim so like more time-based or more distance-based, what's that person able to do? Because some people aren't able to swim 100 metres without stopping. Mm, so yeah. we, can, we can measure it like that. Yeah. Um, depending on the level of the athlete, obviously. And then we can also use like RPE, heart rate, yeah. how they feel when they're swimming at those, th at those paces. Yeah. Do you often look at heart rate for swimmers? No. <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> um, let, let's jump to RPE then, because I think that's, that's quite an important one. So, you know, you're swimming... Let's say you have an aerobic set to do. So, for example, five times, let's go with 100 meters. You've got five times 100 meters, aerobic pace. What kind of RPE should that be feeling? Let's say you, we'll use the one to 10 scale. Where should we be on that? I would say six. Okay. It wants to be a pace where I think that you can, you feel like you can just keep going. Yeah. You're not out of breath. You're, you're able to maintain whatever you, like you normally your three or your five breaths every, your bilateral breathing, basically. Yeah. You're able to maintain that. You're not, you don't have to skip down to, to breathing every two because you're in a comfortable place. Yeah. The technique doesn't break down. It can maintain for the whole time. Yeah. That, that's your aerobic. And, and if you get to the end of the pool and you have to take more than one breath before you go again, would you say it's probably working too hard? You're not aerobic anymore? Definitely, yeah. Okay, so there's a few measures there to know, even if you're not using a you know, your watch to measure your speed or anything, in terms of feeling, you should be able to feel like you can swim comfortably another 200 meters without having to stop, even though you're doing reps of 100. And the reason we'd be doing reps of 100 meters, let's say, or you're doing intervals within the pool is you're always wanting to practice your best technique because I've just talked about technique is the most important thing when we're swimming. 
So is there a place then for hard, fast swimming? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you only ever did um, steady aerobic endurance work, you're probably going to get to a point where your pace just stays the same. Right. There's definitely still a a place for like VO2 work, anaerobic work, like strength work within, within the pool. That is horrendous in the pool though, isn't it? Yeah. And obviously it depends on what phase of your training cycle you're in. Depends whether you're on a traditional periodization or reverse, like what's going to fit where within, within the year. But there's always within that year and within a training block, there's always going to be a place for the hardest, the hardest sessions. Yeah. And I think for triathletes as well, because the biking, not so much, but running certainly with the impact it can make. If you do too much VO2 work on your run, you're going to basically be asking to get injured if you do too much vo2 work on the bike then again joint injuries are quite common or um maybe injuries around the the lower back or the shoulders through tension that you're carrying when the hard efforts but in the pool it's quite hard to get injured isn't it yeah i think you can well for example swimmers my swimming history all i ever did was threshold sessions (laughs) my whole childhood that was all we ever did yeah. I wasn't a triathlete then, but I was a swimmer, but, and we, I never got injured. <laughs> and I think they're just low impact, aren't they? Because it's like you're weightless, you're in the pool. Um, and I think that's why it's a, good, it's, a good, they're in, it's a good place for them in some training programs at different times of the year. Because if you're on a, like a traditional periodization for your bike and your run, you can almost reverse with a swim. You can add in that intensity for the swim and it would not affect the bike and the run because mm. it's, it's less weight bearing, less effect overall on the system. Got it. So if we want to measure that hard VO2 max or threshold speed, and if we're improving on that, what kind of tests could we use for that? So I've got quite a few tests that I like to use depending on the athlete and depending on um, what they're training for. Okay. But I think every coach is a bit different with what what they like to Mm. test. Um, Obviously, we have CSS test, um, which I never had as a swimmer. I never used that. It's a triathlete thing. Joe Joe Friel. What does it mean, CSS? So it's... It's your 200-meter swim and your 400-meter swim um, max effort. Okay. And then basically it's the time difference between the two. But, okay. but tell me about this. I'm not quite sure. There's a way you can fudge it, right? Uh, there's a couple of ways. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's critical swim speed, right? So it's the speed you can hold for what they say between 1 and 1,500 meters, yeah. 1,000 to 1,500 meters. Um, now, if you swim the 400 and the 200 basically at the same pace, it doesn't help you in terms of figuring out what you need to improve on yeah if you absolutely fly the uh the 200 so you swim the 400 steady and fly the 200 you you will look like you've got quite a low css that was it yeah so you you have to really give it your all on a 400 which mentally is pretty challenging because it was we discussed at the start it's for most swimmers it's about six to six and a half minutes of effort which is hard in any sport (laughs) and then you've got a 200 to swim so it is, a, it is a quite a good test, but you've got a few other tests in there that, that may be more applicable to people who are new to swimming. What are those? I like to use 1K swim test. <laughs> You're an absolute sadist, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> and also 2 by one k because I'm over the 2 by one k I'm looking for consistency between the 2Ks. Two, the two what thing, just time consistency, or are we looking for other things? Um, depending on the person, like I, I'm looking for time consistency first. Okay. Okay. Um, with some more advanced people, I will do like stroke count as well. But I don't tend to use that at the beginning because it compromises stroke. So if you're still working heavily on drills, mm. what a swimmer will do is they will compromise their stroke to get a lower stroke rate. Got it. Which is what, not what I'm looking for. Okay. And then you might say, so let's say the, the first 1K, um, sorry, the second 1K you swim, you've got a higher stroke rate. 
what might that be telling you? That, that they're tired and their efficiency in the water is dropping because they're tired. And they're, and they're just turning their arms over just faster without catching as much water. Yeah, which is okay. what we're trying to get away from. Okay, got it. And then you've got another test that you said you like when you were a competitive for athlete, which is the 20-minute max distance. Yeah, this is my favourite. <sighs> that is horrendous. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's just... You just got to swim as far as you can in 20, in 20 minutes. Okay. Um, I always did it in a short course because that's all I had access to. Um, but I think this is a really good test. Best ever distance? I have no idea. Come on, you know. <laughs> I don't know, but we used to swim in like 10 people in a lane, like on each other's toes. So probably okay. cheating a little bit. Definitely cheating, girl, sounds of it. Okay, some great tests there. If you were to give, let's say, our 70.3 athlete who's just started swimming to get into swimming, he's got six months away from his race what test would you give him early on to see how he's doing i would give him actually give him css test okay because it's quite relevant like you said before to that distance so i'm to high find my distance right it's giving us a, a rough guide of where he would be now or she if they were to do 1500 meters because for, for a new swimmer swimming 1k is pretty daunting right yeah but doing a 400 and a 200 that's that's okay we can do that we can do that <laughs> <laughs> okay if you want to do the css test you can just if you just google css swim test it'll tell you how to do it and there's also normally calculators online that'll work out your css pace on there and then you would say then if you're swimming at css pace say for a 200 that's a very comfortable pace for you to hold if you're then swimming let's say five seconds under your CSS pace in terms of faster than CSS, now you're getting down more towards holding harder, harder swim set that you might hold for like maybe just being able to hold 400 or 200 meters. If you're swimming over CSS pace by five, let's say five seconds, you're swimming even more comfortably, obviously, than the CSS pace. You're more in your bottom end, like zone two, zone one stuff. Yeah. And there's a place for that in all of your training intervals as well, right? Yeah. How many times a week should we be swimming? This is a tough one because it literally depends on the person. It depends on the athlete. depends on how much time they have or how much time they're willing to give to swimming. Um, I mean, you, we hear it a lot. People like to prioritize the run and the bike <laughs> and, and sack off the swimming. Yeah. But um, seriously, I, I think absolute minimum should be twice a week for any triathlete. Okay. I think that... Minimum. I think that one session needs to be completely drill focused and um, then doing some more aerobic work, maintaining that good technique that you've just practiced in the drills. And then another session would be more like what you're working for with your race, like more race specific work, like longer work, maybe a little bit harder. Okay. Um, minimum, so, minimum two. So two minimum. And let's say in those, that two minimum, you're going to swim a total of 6,000 meters, for example. Would it then work to do one swim session of 6,000 meters? Or do you think the more you split it up, the better? So are we, do you think frequency is the right way to go? Or do you think volume load is the right way to go? I think for someone that's really looking to change their stroke, frequency is the way to go. Like sh short sessions, you could do a 20-minute drill session. You could do that three times a week. Because you mm. can fit it in, it's shorter. Plus then you're going over the drills again and again and they're becoming ingrained in you. So I think that's better. I think if you're coming towards more towards like your build phase and you're going coming towards a race and you've been working on your drills in your off season then I think a good time you could get that um, session done in one session like do a big yeah. three four five k swim set that's awesome advice last one for me then if you're 
you're obviously trying to fit together three sports and we know strength training is important with the triathlon as well where should the swim be placed should we go in the pool after the bike after the run before the run before the bike on its own day where would you like to see a swim fitted into the training plan in the best place that's quite a tough one but i think like what we talked about earlier swimming is quite low impact compared to the other two so i think that you can put it on days when you when you bike and run okay uh, some of my guys i like to put swimming on the days that they do strength um after they've done strength mm. um i think that strength's not going to take too much away from what they can do in the pool and probably get the right muscles we want to work in the water awake right yeah like we've worked on activating lats for example in in the gym then that's now let's jump in the pool and put them to use nice um and sometimes I use swim, uh, swim sessions as a recovery session. So if they've done a really hard run in the morning, I might give them like a recovery swim in the, in the evening just mm. to increase blood flow, but just get more time in the pool. Um, and also, if they're working on drills, it's obviously a very easy session to do. So you can, you can do them on double days. Got it. Got it. I have another question, actually. Sorry, it wasn't my last one. Um, when we're swimming and we want to know the pace, do we try to look at the watch every time the arm comes over or should we look at the watch at the end of the interval or just not look at it at all? Just not look at it at all. Um, so we shouldn't buy the goggles that show your swim pace in oh the lens no, either? definitely not. <laughs> um, I've, I actually see this a lot when um, I taught the triathletes in the swim squad. Yeah. They would be coming into the wall to finish their set, but they, they stop their watch before they touch the wall. That's their priority is lapping their watch all the time. And like... Uh, yeah, I, I grew up as a swimmer, as you know, and we, we never had watches. We had a clock at the end, so everything was done by a clock. Like 20 yeah. seconds rest, you look at the clock. Um, and I didn't know what pace I was swimming, other than, you know, by mm. feel. Yeah. And I think, obviously, we need our watches. There's data there, and we can analyze it afterwards, but I think we need to stress less about what, what's going on while we're doing it and looking at it and focus more on our technique and on what we're doing in the pool. Yeah, and I can attest to that as a... As a, I mean, I swam as a youngster, just being able to not drown, basically, and then I worked as a lifeguard, so I could swim, but I could never swim competitively or fast, you know. So learning to swim or learning to swim faster as a, I think when I started, it was about 21, 22 year old. You do get obsessed with pace because you want that instant feedback of was that good or was that bad. What swimmers from young age tend to naturally have is they feel whether it was good or bad. So you could probably come in off 100 meters and probably guess your time pretty accurately rather than having to look at the watch to say what the time was. Yeah. Do you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, 100%, because I grew up without any metric other than my own feeling. Yeah. And that's actually translated into everything, like <laughs> with swimming and cycling too. I'm yeah. like, oh, I don't need to look at my watch. I know what I'm doing. I know that I'm running at 4.30 pace or just by feel. Yeah. I think that comes right back from seven years old learning to swim or feel. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't know what that feels like, you will come in and you might stop the watch and go, "Wow, that was an awesome length. And it reads seven seconds slower than what you thought it was. And you suddenly go, ah, oh, whoops. So I would recommend people, obviously using your watch to track training, but if you can swim without your watch and use the clock uh, you know, on the side of the pool, or you do swim with a watch, but you don't get obsessed with hitting the lap button at the exact time, you'll start to make yourself give much better feedback in terms of feeling to your body rather than just going on your time all the time. And I actually got to this point where even in races, I don't wear my watch during the swim because I don't want to come out of the water, hit the stop button and it reads like a minute or two minutes slower than what I thought. And suddenly that affects you for the rest of the race. Yeah, it's definitely a distraction, right? Even you're racing or even in the pool, you're distracted because you're thinking, what is my watch saying? Mm. I need to lap my watch. I need, and so you know, it's taking your mind away from what you're supposed to be doing, whether that's racing or drills. 
um, it's definitely a distraction. Yeah. And I've been guilty of it in, when we've done sea swims before. I've been guilty of like pausing my stroke and, look <laughs> at, and looking in front of me at like, my watch to see what we were doing. It, was, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Until later. You can look at the data later. Yeah, look at the data later. Yeah. yeah. That's a rhyme, you know. <laughs> Could <laughs> be your coaching slogan. Look, look at, at the, the data, data later. later. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Jess, you're known for your stories. I've got to ask you, any, what's your best swim story from a race? You must be a good yeah, one. Yeah, I have a really good one, actually. It came straight to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> of course it did. So it was, I was racing in Australia, and um, we, it was an Olympic distance, so 1,500. And there were some boys out from a different distance, like a half Ironman distance that was going on at the same day. And so as we start off swimming, and I'm leading the swim. And I go about, I'm not even joking, about 400 metres off course, <laughs> so far off course towards this boy, which was like double the distance. And... The water was really shallow, so I stood up, my feet on the ground, and I looked around and I was like, oh, what have I done? I was like, this is it, the race is over. I turned around and every single person in the race has followed me. Oh, no. So I just led them around the next boy and then we went back to the beach. So, like, effectively, I thought my race was over, but it wasn't. Like, they, every person followed me. We ended up doing, like, double the distance swim. <laughs> so does that, that ties quite well into a lesson we teach our swimmers, isn't it? It's something that I teach them as well. Like never just follow the person in front because right. they, they can be going off course. They can be going to the wrong boy. Yeah. They could even be in a different race. <laughs> <laughs> so like, although we teach people to sit on each other's feet and on each other's hips, just be aware of which boy you're supposed to be going to and, and keep sighting your boy and not relying just to follow the pack, basically. Excellent. <laughs> we'll get on to the finer details of, of uh, racing or swimming in triathlon racing in the next episode when we get you on but that's a really good start to uh to a guide certainly for people entering triathlon as non-swimmers but also for maybe swimmers looking to improve in triathlon as well jess you're available here at in a fight in order to help with swim technique and do swim lessons you also do swim programming with your triathletes as well on the endurance side so guys if you would like to get in touch with jess you can do jt at innerfight.com and your instagram is jess toll not towel <laughs> <laughs> just toll but there's no e between the w and the l <laughs> no t-o-w-l excellent but when you do write her an email please spell it with towel in the mail itself and you'll put her in a good mood <laughs> awesome jess thank you so much for coming on thank you guys for listening we'll be back next week <laughs>